We are celebrating the 502nd anniversary of the Reformation. Well, it would be really, really easy to celebrate the Reformers such as Martin Luther himself. We're going to focus instead on what God accomplished through these great and wonderful men. Because through their work, he brought to light what had been hidden in darkness for centuries, that a person is saved only by God's grace, his love to undeserving sinners, that a person is saved only through faith in Christ Jesus, and they learn this only from Scripture. That is the heritage of the Lutheran Reformation. And it all started in the city of Wittenberg in Germany in 1517. There was a spiritually tortured young man named Martin Luther who wanted some answers to questions that had suddenly arisen within the Christian faith. The Roman Catholic Church started promoting the sale of indulgences which they claimed that if someone bought them, they would actually shave off years in a made-up place called purgatory where you would have to spend time before being good enough to enter into heaven. So he took a piece of paper, a nail, and a hammer and nailed that on to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. This piece of paper was called the 95 Theses. They were 95 statements for debate, and thanks to the recent invention of the printing press, they spread like wildfire. And the Reformation sprang to light. The city of Wittenberg is where the Reformation came to life, and four years later, the city of Worms is where the Reformation went to die or so the imperial leaders of the Holy Roman Empire thought. They summoned Martin Luther there to an imperial meeting in order to take back 25 writings in which he was questioning the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, and if he refused to recant or take these back, it was open season on Martin Luther. Anybody could take his life as if they were hunting a deer and do it legally. And so after praying intensely and earnestly for a day, Martin Luther said these famous words, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me, amen. And a lot of times we don't hear what Emperor Charles V said after this. He said, we forbid anyone from this time forward to dare either by words or by deeds to receive, defend, sustain, or favor Martin Luther. From this point forward, it's pretty clear that the Reformers would be in for a fight. In our society, we love those stories of risk-it-all moments where people put everything on the line, including their life. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, what led Martin Luther to risk it all? Well, it has to do with the age-old question of how does a person 
get right with God, the creator of heaven and earth. And what he had been learning from the Roman Catholic Church really, really bothered him. The Roman Catholic Church was promoting the idea that is probably ingrained in all of us that God is good to those who do good. It's a natural thought. If we work hard in life, we will be rewarded somehow. If we behave, we will not get into trouble. If we don't get caught breaking the law, there will be no penalty or punishment. And this was the idea that Martin Luther had in his head on how a person got right with God. And I think a little bit of that thinking creeps into each of our hearts and minds, even though you and I are sons and daughters, heirs of the Reformation. When somebody walks into church and their brokenness is on public display for everybody to see, we can tell that they have not made good decisions in their life. We can tell that they are hurting. We can tell that they are struggling, and they're not even hiding it. Sometimes we might think to ourselves, well, God has got to treat me a little bit better because I'm not at that low of a point in my life. God is going to reward me a little bit more because I have made better decisions. But there it is again, this idea that God is good to those who do good. God rewards those who follow his commandments and keep his law. If we are careful to do so, God will bless us. But Romans chapter 3, it tells us very clearly what our relationship to God, if we try to earn heaven by works, looks like. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, you, me, everyone. Why? So that every mouth may be silenced. We have nothing to brag about. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. All the law does is show that in our hearts there are dark, broken corners, even if they are not on public display. There are thoughts that ruminate in our minds that we wouldn't be embarrassed if someone heard. There are feelings we have that would make our parents and grandparents weep if they knew about them. Each of us is accountable to God. Each of us cannot win God's favor if we're honest about how we have felt toward others and if we graded ourselves on how well we kept his law. This is what truly troubled Martin Luther. 
Martin Luther was a man who knew his own sinfulness to such a deep extent that he was led to nothing but despair. And he tried to make up for this by doing things such as starving himself or beating himself or sleeping on the cold stone floor. But the more that he tried to win God's favor by things that he did, the further he was led down into the darkness of despair. And the sad thing is, when Martin Luther looked at a cross, instead of seeing a shining example of God's love and forgiveness, he saw a lightning bolt of God's judgment and wrath. Until suddenly the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to see something about how a person gets right with God. We call this the great gospel pivot. Verse 21, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. And suddenly the light went on in his head. He said, this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with God. I do not need to somehow come up with a way to get right with God because it is revealed outside of me. It comes to me through faith. I am right with God because of what he has done and not what I have done. God will not punish us for our sins because we are right with him. And that means that we are holy, we are sinless, we are blameless, we are pure in God's sight. And a lot of people scratch their head over this idea. They think there are parts of the Bible that talk about God as a stern judge. He will punish the wrongdoer. He will hate all those who do wrong and sin and break his holy will. And suddenly, we hear of a God who forgives and who will not punish. We've got to ask ourselves the question, does God change like a father and who becomes a grandfather? Maybe you had a father who had a strict set of rules that you had to follow and if you broke just one in a very small way, you somehow paid for it. And then suddenly you see this father change when you have a child and suddenly it's all right to walk around on the carpet with shoes on and eat cookies for breakfast and bring juice in the living room. We see you, grandfathers. We know who you are. God has not changed. God will still punish sin. And God did punish sin. He just did not punish us. Here's how it's described. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. God's forgiveness and God's love did come at a cost. It was the cost of His Son's life. And he gives us three pictures in these verses to express it. 
He takes us to a courtroom. He takes us to the slave market. And he takes us to the temple. Number one, you and I are justified. We are declared not guilty in God's sight of, for our wrongdoing because Jesus received our penalty and our punishment. He gives us credit for his perfect life on earth. And so you and I are justified in God's courtroom when we stand there. We each can say it is just as if I'd never sinned. And then Paul takes us to the slave market. We were once held in slavery to sin. No matter what, no matter what we did, we would continue to sin and never earn God's favor. But Jesus Christ set us free. He paid the price that was needed. And as Martin Luther said, it was not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And number three, he takes us to the temple behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. The priest would walk in there with a basin of blood and spread this over the top to atone for the sins of the people to make them at one with God. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin and all unrighteousness. All of this is given to us freely. There is not a thing left to do to earn favor with God and to be right with Him. This is the legacy of the Reformation that has been entrusted to us. And the question this Reformation Sunday is, what are we going to do with this? Now God has placed this in our hands and among our midst. If you go to the Computer History Museum in Mountain View, California, you will see on display there three machines from 1973 called the Xerox Altos. And what's special about these computers is that they looked like desktop PCs. They used a graphical user interface, which is how we control what we're doing on the computer. We see it on the screen. But here's the thing, nobody has ever heard of those. They invented the first PC, but they didn't realize what they had until IBM and Apple started selling them in mass quantities 10 years later and making a massive profit. Now in 2019, there are 2 billion PCs in use worldwide. Xerox missed their opportunity. Is someone going to look back at the 602nd anniversary of the Reformation and say the Wisconsin Synod or Zion Lutheran Church didn't realize what they had? They traded it in for a cheap theory that is more politically correct and fits more with the popular thinking of the world. They decided to trade it in for something that was more work-based and proving that you're worthy to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's never let that happen. What you have here from God's Word, you cannot get anywhere else. This comes to you freely. 
This is sure and certain hope. And this is rock solid confidence. So I pray that each of you individually would step into the shoes of Martin Luther in a spirit of defiance to anything that would try to get you to compromise or anything that would take this away from you. That you would be led to say, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand on what God freely gives. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. We share our faith together with the words of the Apostles' Creed. Please stand.